Gittleman here with another episode of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Little did I know in 1988 when I wrote my first book, Beyond Pritikin, and talked about the dangers of gluten, that I would be channeling a groundbreaking book many decades later called Wheat Belly. So today I bring the author of Wheat Belly to the forefront. Dr. William Davis has written another big game-changing book talking about the power of the human microbiome and the silent epidemic of SIBO. Welcome again, Dr. Davis. How did a preventive cardiologist write such a game-changing book as Wheat Belly? You know, and Louise, Louise, it was stepwise. It wasn't one big revelation. You know, I, I started way back when practicing interventional cardiology, and that's the world of stents and uh, angioplasty and atherectomy and all that kind of stuff. But my mom died of sudden cardiac death after a successful two-vessel coronary angioplasty. She's living in New Jersey. But it illustrated to me how pointless, how limited, how in many ways useless it was to try to manage coronary disease, heart disease, in a cath lab. And I, I redirect my attentions towards prevention. And one of the things back then, and this remains true today, to quantify heart disease, coronary disease, is to do something called the CT heart scan that generates a coronary calcium score. That's only because uh, coronary atherosclerosis, this disease, you can measure it by quantifying calcium. They can measure precisely because calcium occupies 20% of total atherosclerotic plaque volume. Mm. Well, back then, and this remains true and at least today, my colleagues say, oh, if you have a CT heart scan score above zero, zero is normal. Anything above zero is varying degrees of abnormal and thereby increasing potential for such things as heart attack and getting symptoms that require a stent, et cetera. My colleagues back then and today say, take a statin cholesterol drug, aspirin, cut your fat and saturated fat and exercise. Mm. So we help publish the data to show if you did nothing, which is foolhardy, right? If you have a heart scan score, of, let's say 300. If you do, not do nothing, it goes up by 25% per year. And each leap you make takes you closer to heart attack and death. And so if you take a statin drug, low-fat diet, exercise, aspirin, heart scan score goes up 25% per year, has no impact whatsoever. Oh, my gosh. But they still, and they, and they still call it optimal medical therapy. Unbelievable. Optimal medical therapy that does almost nothing. So, so what do I do? I'm, I'm in Milwaukee. People are freaking out. <laughs> what do we do? So this is this goes back 20 some years now. This is in your your days of fat flush, et cetera. Yes. Uh, well, if you don't, if you reject the notion that cholesterol testing identifies cardiovascular risk, which it does very badly and crudely, a, a, a better test is something called lipoprotein analysis. Mm. You do that and you see right away that virtually everybody who has coronary disease, whether it's a coronary calcium score or they recovered from a heart attack or something like that. They all have an excess, a huge amount of what's called small LDL particles. But now the science is clear. This came out of UC San Francisco and Berkeley and Hopkins and uh, University of Texas, that there's only two foods that cause small LDL particles to be formed, uh, grains and sugars. And so I know your history in gluten elimination goes way back uh, uh, as, as mine does. But I took out grains and sugars, not so much the gluten, but because of the amylopectin A carbohydrate unique to grains, I, we did that. 
and people would come back and their small LDL particles would drop from like 2,400 nanomoles per liter, particle count per volume, to zero. It wouldn't be a little bit better. It would be obliterated. <laughs> Miraculous. But then people would tell me stuff that you've heard many uh, on your programs. I, you didn't tell me I'd lose 73 pounds. <laughs> you didn't tell me my type 2 diabetes would be so much better. I'd have to stop my insulin metformin. You didn't tell me I have to stop three blood pressure medicines because my blood pressure would be normal. I'd be lightheaded on the drugs. You didn't tell me my rheumatoid arthritis would be so much better. I could stop the Humira and the prednisone. And so it was that stumbling onto this, like, all done. And Louise, all done for the sake of reducing small LDL particles in people with a coronary disease. Amazing. So you went from the heart to the belly and now to the gut. Tell me about your new book, because it seems like it's going to be the next big game changer. Super gut. How did you come up with this idea? Well, it became also clear that people on these programs, as on yours, have magnificent results, weight loss, reversal of numerous health conditions, but not everybody did or they'd be stuck at some plateau. Somebody would say, for instance, yeah, I've lost 73 pounds, but I have another 40 to go and I'm stuck. Or my hemoglobin A1C, that measure of long-term blood sugars dropped from a terrible 11.8% from a type two diabetic range down to a much better 5.9%, but still not ideal. They're still pre-diabetic. Well, why would people plateau? So I looked elsewhere and I looked into the microbiome and, and Louise, you find all kinds of stuff when you start looking at the microbiome, two things primarily. One has become clear that this science has advanced dramatically in the last few years, that modern people have lost important mi microbes from their uh, intestinal microbiomes. Oh, that's, place... that's, that's a biggie. Mm -hmm. Microbes like, just give us an example, give us a little taste. Well, my favorite, in the world, there's many of, but my favorite is Lactobacillus reuteri, R-E-U-T-E-R-I, after the German discoverer, the microbiologist Gerhard Reuter, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> well, 96% uh, of us, the best evidence tells us that 96% of us have lost this microbe, even though hunter-gatherer indigenous populations all have it, your dog has it, the squirrels outside have it, raccoons have it. In other words, it's ubiquitous in mammals, except mm. modern people, mm. probably because of antibiotic exposure and who knows what else, herbicide, pesticide, residues in food, glyphosate that everybody has in their body. Uh, that is a, not just an herbicide, it's also a very potent antibiotic and many other factors like emulsifying agents in foods like carboxymethylcellulose and and uh, polysorbate 80, synthetic sweeteners like aspartame. So we have decimated human microbiome among the casualties, lactobacillus reuteri. Now, uh, when you restore it, and Louise, fabulous, magnificent things happen. It takes up residence in the upper GI tract, oddly, and sends a signal to the brain to release the hormone oxytocin, the hormone mm -hmm. of love and empathy. Uh, huge, so people, this is huge, so it affects areas far beyond the gut, my friends. Yes. So people, now we make yogurt out of it, not the yogurt you buy in the grocery store. That's not what I'm talking about. I call it yogurt because it looks and smells like yogurt, but it's not really yogurt. It, it's something we ferment using this microbial species. We ferment for an extended period. So we get very, very big bacterial numbers. We did flow cytometry in our yogurts 
and you get something like 260 billion counts of bacteria per half cup serving. Oh my God. So people report a restoration of empathy. They say, I like my spouse better. I like my, <laughs> I like my coworkers and family better. But not only that, it's now become clear, you know, oxytocin, this hormone was thought to be a, a, a kind of not very useful for anything, except to give a woman an injection at time of delivery to provoke uterine contraction. Mm-hmm. That was end of story. It's become clear. Oh, no. Oxytocin is responsible for all sorts of things. So people who restore oxytocin, many of us have a restoration of youthful muscle and strength. There's deeper sleep, suppression of appetite, uh, extended REM periods of sleep. Uh, and, you know, love this, you start to lose your skin wrinkles within about four to eight weeks because of an explosion in dermal collagen. Sign so, me up, Dr. Davis. Sign <laughs> me up. So restoration of muscle, preservation of bone density, very important effect in females, um, smoother skin, accelerated healing. I, I don't think it's a stretch. I know you've heard these kinds of claims from many people, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that <clears throat> restoration of rotary is an age reversing strategy. And so you'll see the before and afters people share with me and people actually do look 10, 20 years younger and act 10, 20 years Younger. Now, now, and Louise, that's one microbe. There's many more we can replace and have other sorts of big effects like shrinkage of your waist. Even if you did nothing, I wouldn't advise somebody to do nothing, but, <laughs> um, but if you get this one microbe, lactobacillus gasseri, and then do it the right way, your waist shrinks by about an inch. Your, your cross-sectional visceral fat, if you did an MRI or CAT scan, is reduced by about 13 square centimeters, so quite a bit. If there's another micro we can restore in infants and they sleep longer, they have fewer bowel movements, thereby less diaper changes from mom and dad. And the child will have less potential for asthma and will have a higher IQ. In other words, lifelong changes. And we replace these lost microbes and we can achieve magnificent effects. It's like going to a, a restaurant. You know, if you and I go to a restaurant and the waitress hands you a menu, you don't look at the menu and freak out and say, oh my God, I can't order all these appetizers and main dishes and side dishes. You, you and I, we pick and choose the dishes we want. The same thing applies here in the microbiome, the restoration of the microbiome. Let's pick and choose the effects you want, like being happier, being less anxious, being more creative, being more slender. And you can pick the ch- and choose the microbes you want to achieve those things. And you talk about this in your book. Yeah. Now there's a dark side to all this too, I, I, I fear. So that's that's the fun stuff where we replace <laughs> microbes and get all these effects. And is but the yogurt also- dairy-based? I have to ask you that question. I love the idea of making this yogurt, this ferment. Is that dairy-based, Dr. D? It, it can be. Dairy is a very forgiving uh, fermentation vehicle, but you can also, I'm currently fermenting in my kitchen, uh, coconut milk, um, cranberry juice, my uh, apple cider. Lovely. <laughs> So it doesn't have to be dairy-based. It doesn't have to be. Though people will find, you know, dairy's problematic. No question. You, you know that better than I do. Dairy has its issues. One of the advantages, though, of this very prolonged fermentation we use. The re- by the way, the reason I, we use prolonged fermentation is the best way to understand this for your listeners is to recall a kid's riddle. Remember this? Which would you rather have? A million dollars or a penny? every day that doubles. <clears throat> Kids always say, I'll take the million dollars, right? Not recognizing that that penny, even though it seems like it's going nowhere, one cent, two cents, four cents, eight cents, et cetera, 
becomes over five and a half million dollars after 30 days. <clears throat> and so, but the increase in money doesn't really occur till about day 27 or 28. <clears throat> Pardon me. The same principle applies to microbial doubling. That's what microbes do. You don't get this Reuteri, for instance, doubles every three hours. In commercial yogurt making, they ferment for four hours. You got nothing. Nothing. That's why, that's why they add gel and gum and xanthan gum and all that stuff to thicken it up because there ain't nothing in it. So we're going to ferment for 36 hours. And you'll see that the real big increases in microbial counts occurs around hour 33, not four hours, but 33. We go to 36 hours because after 36 hours, you start to get actually uh, no further increase in numbers because there's too much competition in, in that. You're, when you do this, you exhaust most of the lactose because it's converted to lactic acid and the yogurt becomes acidic and it drops the pH to between 3.5 and 4.0. It's much more acidic. And that degree of acidity, that tartness, denatures or breaks down the casein beta A1. That's the stuff that is immunogenic for some people. And so while dairy does indeed have issues, we do manage to minimize the issues by this prolonged fermentation, but you can just as well use coconut milk and other vehicles as well. So what about all the commercial probiotics on the market? I mean, I represented many of them in my earlier days. They have some of these missing microbes. Are you in favor of them? You know, it's as you've seen over your years with the probiotic industry, it, it is evolving. Uh, and it went from kind of a stumbling haphazard collection of microbes. It's getting better. There, some of the companies are starting to factor in such things as you got to pay attention to strain. You can't just list the microbe species. This sounds incredibly uh, tedious, but it, it, the best example is E. coli. I've got E. coli. You've got E. coli. Your, the listeners in your podcast have E. coli. But what if you ate lettuce contaminated by cow manure mm. and E. coli? Well, you could die of that E. coli. Same species, E. coli, different strain. So strain can make a, literally a life-death difference. Now, in most cases, not life-death, but it might mean the difference between, say, reducing anxiety and not reducing anxiety or making you uh, have a better immune response and not having a better immune response. So we have to pay attention to strain. You'll see that many commercial uh, products don't even specify the strain. They're starting to. Another thing to incorporate is this notion of guilds or collaboration. So my microbiology friend, Dr. Raul Cano, famous guy, he's a pioneer in that, where if you combine microbes in a very specific way, because they cooperate with each other. So if microbe A produces something microbe B needs and microbe B produces something microbe C needs, you get far greater biological effects. And then I also add, throw in this twist. You can amplify the benefits of probiotics by combining probiotics, strains identified, collaborative groups, and then add non-microbial components to amplify their benefits. And you can get much bigger effects. And before we continue, I want to thank yet yeah, once again, my wonderful sponsors, UnikeyHealth.com, the home of all my formulations, including BioBuilder, MagKey, and Super GI Cleanse, as well as CS-Health.com, the home of the only official activated sulforaphane products for internal and external body and beauty care. Thank you so much, my wonderful sponsors. So it seems to me that we have to personalize this a little bit. Do you include that in your book? How do we measure microbiome health of our individual systems? 
Yeah, there's something else we need to talk about that I talk about in the book and has become an epidemic. And Louise, and that is the people have heard about this, but often don't know what to do about it. And that is the problem problem of small intestinal bacterial big problem. And you, yes, yes, yes. yes. Tell, Tell my listeners a little bit about that. So as we've lost important microbes in their place are the proliferation of stool microbes. It sounds gross, but it's E. coli and Klebsiella and Ciprobacter. These are microbes that are supposed to stay in the colon where they belong and then passed out in the toilet. But they have managed to climb, proliferate out muscle healthy species and then climb up the additional 24 feet of small bowel such that I think conservatively estimated conservatively estimated one in three americans have SIBO. so over a hundred i think it's My worse God, one in three <clears throat> i think it's even more dr d i think so too and one of the ways to confirm it is you don't have to buy this device <clears throat> pardon me but there's a new consumer device called the air device a-i-r-e invented by an irish engineer invented by the way for his girlfriend then now now wife because she had irritable bowel syndrome and was told to go on a low FODMAPS diet, essentially that's, low fiber, yeah, no low sugar diet. That's right? what everybody does. Mm-hmm. Well, he saw how difficult it was for her to navigate a low FODMAPS diet. She was always having bloating and diarrhea breakthrough. Well, uh, so we invented this device, very clever little device that registers hydrogen gas, the stuff that bacteria produce, but humans don't. And it registers on your smartphone with a, a value. I got a hold of this a couple of years ago. I called him up. I said, Angus, you know what this is? This is not just a device for irritable syndrome and FODMAPs. This is a device to navigate virtually all food intolerances and SIBO, at least hydrogen mm. gas producing SIBO. Well, now, and Louise, we now have a consumer device that you and I and your listeners can use. It is a couple hundred dollars, but it's a lot cheaper than having to go through the doctor who either doesn't know what the heck you're talking about or will charge hundreds every time they do it. And it's a test you often need repeatedly. So if you have this device, you only need to buy it once. But it, it showed me in people who got the device and tested, it's everywhere. In fact, it's the exception who tests negative. And so this is a problem. So in 2007, a Danish group published a very important paper, Dr. Patrice Canny and his group, showing that when microbes proliferate, as in SIBO, they don't just stay put in the GI tract. They're breakdown products. These are trillions of microbes living only hours at a time. They don't live like we do for a long time. And their breakdown products enter the bloodstream. And that's a very important process called endotoxemia. But it explains now for the first time. People used to talk about gut leak, right? That kind of stuff. Well, this is this is gut leak. But this is the, this thing you can measure as gut leak. But it explains how microbes in the GI tract can be experienced in the skin as rosacea or psoriasis, or in the brain as depression or multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's dementia, or in joints as rheumatoid arthritis. In fact, I would say, and Luis, that we have to reconsider all human disease in mm. light of this phenomenon of endotoxemia from gut microbes. Unbelievable, and you can measure this. And you can measure this. You don't have to measure it. Some people have telltale signs that are so characteristic. And you go into that in the book that everybody should be buying now. Super good. So for instance, I'm sure you've seen many instances of people who pass oil into the toilet, oil droplets, standing of the toilet where the water meets the porcelain, or people who have 
health conditions that are so highly associated with SIBO that you could just say, well, you know, I've got fibromyalgia or I've got irritable bowel syndrome um, or I've got rosacea and the likelihood that SIBO is, is either a cause or at least a worsening factor is so high that I'm just going to assume I do have SIBO. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm going to take action to eradicate it. So what is CFO? Oh, very good. So and, and, <laughs> you, you're quick, Dr. Davis, you're quick. So just as bacteria can proliferate, so can fungi like Candida glabrata, Candida tropicalis, Malassezia, Candida albicans. And this is, I think this is, a, as you know, a very underestimated problem also. It's not quite clear how prevalent because now we don't have an air device for fungi, unfortunately, <clears throat> but we have uh, managed many people's CFO fungal overgrowth just presumptively, uh, because the telltale signs are pretty solid. Sugar cravings, eczema is a really powerful sign for fungal overgrowth. If you have fungal overgrowth, let's say identified by a stool sample, you can look at, you can identify by a stool sample. Uh, it's almost certain you have some measure of SIBO also because fungi proliferate when the bacteria, the right bacteria are no longer there to keep it in check. So uh, having CFO often obliges you to do at least some of the things that are helpful for CBO. Now, you know, people get scared by this because they fear that antibiotics and antifungals are coming their way. <laughs> and, you know, that was true. So if you had CBO, for instance, even if the gastroenterologist knew what it was, most of the time they don't, or they say stupid things like there's no such thing, Anne Louise, or did you consult Dr. Google again? Mm, right? Exactly. And so, <laughs> that, so they, if they knew what it was, they'd prescribe rifaximin, which is a conventional antibiotic. Uh, there was a time when we used herbal antibiotics. There are two regimens that have been validated to some degree in published evidence the candibactin and the FC cell dysbiocide regimens. But you know what I've been doing lately? Tell and me. it's preliminary. Only about 30 people. But with the assistance of this air device to show that it normalizes breath hydrogen, not to say you have to have it, but these people all normalize their hydrogen gas levels with the air device. Well, if, if you and I take a commercial probiotic, that probiotic wasn't created specifically to eradicate SIBO. So if I did take a nice expensive probiotic, it's unlikely to get rid of the SIBO or the CFO for that matter. It might reduce some bloating, but it tends not to eradicate the entire situation. So I asked a different set of questions. I said, what if we chose species that take up residence in the upper GI tract where SIBO occurs? And what if we chose species that produce bactericins? These are natural antibiotics effective against the species of SIBO. So I chose three, such as lactobacillus gasseride. There's a strain of lactobacillus gasseride that takes up residence, upper GI tract, and produces up to seven bactericins, very potent uh, microbe. And we've co-ferment them as a yogurt. So I call it SIBO yogurt. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be dairy, of course, could be other things too. Uh, and we consume a half a cup of this a day, and now, about 90% of people so far in our preliminary experience have normalized breath hydrogen gas, meaning they've pushed back SIBO. It's a lot softer than an antibiotic. And of course, it's just a, like a yogurt. It's just a very soft, and I think a very, we need to prove that once and for all in a clinical trial that's down the road. We've got several clinical trials planned and that's on the list. Um, but I believe we're onto something here. Oh, you're onto something big, there's no question. But does it only take four weeks to reprogram your gut? 
<laughs> it takes four weeks to begin. <laughs> it's a lifelong, program. it's a lifelong journey. Oh, as you well know, this is something we're going to battle. I, one of my great fears is there are things going into our bodies, whether via water, air, food, whatever, that are continuing to disrupt the human microbiome. And I don't know if it's EMF or other factors, heavy metals, there's so many things we're being exposed to that while you can take many steps and have magnificent effects, I do fear we have not identified all the factors disrupting the human microbiome. And don't you think the human microbiome is like an organ? I once wrote that. I think it should be considered an organ. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. It's that powerful. In fact, I'm, you know, of all the things, uh, my career is, is quite long also. I've been doing, I've been in healthcare for gee, 35 years. Oh my goodness. Um, I'd say the insights in the microbiome. I'm so grateful. This is happening in our lifetimes, and Louise, that we have stumbled on such an extraordinarily powerful. I tell people it's like it's 1982, and I give your listeners a Commodore 64 and say, "Here you go. Go ahead and play Pong." we haven't foreseen all the incredible technologies coming our way but i think it's going to be something like that the technologies the insights that are going to empower us via the microbiome and you know what you don't need the damn doctor to do it and you don't need damn big pharma to do it you can do it yourself in the comfort of your kitchen so that's what i like so this is kind of like a do-it-yourself book with gut fixing recipes exactly and I, I'm sure, you know, even since I wrote the book, some new strategies have, have cropped up. One of the super duper easy things that your listeners can get started on like very quickly is something I call Saccharomyces berlardii cider. In other words, just take some uh, natural apple cider, no preservatives like sodium benzoate, and then just add a capsule of a commercial probiotic called Floristore, which is nothing more than the fungus uh, the yeast, Saccharomyces boulardii, which is the cousin of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, used to ferment wine, beer, and sourdough bread. But you can get this Saccharomyces boulardii, uh, I believe it's a CNM 675 strain, put a capsule of that, and then put it on your counter, preferably about 80 degrees Fahrenheit if possible, or if you have an oven, you put the light on. Do that for about 36 to 48 hours. You have to, cat, you have to vent it every so often, like every because it produces so much CO2, uh, it's like soda. If you shake it, you're going to have a, you know, you know <laughs> fly right out of the top. But you're increasing Saccharomyces boulardii counts. And this is really useful. So the sugar is fermented out. Mo is, a lot of it's fermented out. So it's not as sugary as it started. Uh, after 48 hours, it's less than half the original sugar. So if we drink four ounces, you're getting about 40 billion. This is our way of increasing microbes. And that has effects on CFO. Though you've got to do it for a you know, few weeks, if not months. Uh, in some cases, it's a soft way to eradicate SIBO. It also reduces inflammation. It's a real great way to prevent traveler's diarrhea when you're traveling. It's a great way to prevent C. diff and colitis during a course of antibiotics, heaven forbid. So it's a really cool way to jack up the benefits from this microbe, Saccharomyces boulardii. Do you still see private patients? No. You know, I do something like you do. I have a Zoom, like tonight, I'm going to have a, a Zoom two-way with about 70 to 100 people. And we talk about health issues. I, I, I feel that I do be a lot better than seeing people with atrial fibrillation, coronary disease, and putting in stents. So you've moved into the integrative arena and full, full boat. 
Yeah. You know, I think back in, Louise, you know, the tools we had 30 years ago were kind of, there were some good tools back then. But they were kind of stumbling tools. And I, I feel like the tools we have now are far more powerful, far more effective. And of course, we have rapid, you, you, you and me go back so far. You remember going <laughs> to the medical library and pulling out the index medicus? Oh, yes. <laughs> looking up studies. And then if you found the study you wanted, you'd have to go to the stacks of, of uh, journals, go way back and find that journal and then take notes on a three by five index card. Oh, yes, I remember that. I remember those days. But I don't want you to tell anybody anything else. That they must get this book. If there's one new book that they have to get this year, it's Super Gut. And the, the um, subtitle is A Four-Week Plan to Reprogram Your Microbiome, Restore Health, and Lose Weight. What else can people do? They're going well, to lose weight, restore their health, get rid of their skin conditions, get rid of their unresolved issues, the incurables. You're going to get you know, a Nobel Prize, Dr. William Davis. Well, you know, I, I, I think that the list of things we can do, and it's ongoing. This science is unfolding so quickly that, you know, we can't convey all the uh, ideas in a book. And so one of the things I made the mistake, Louise, years ago of having a wheat belly site, wheat belly Facebook page, an undoctored site, uh, uh, Facebook. You can't do that. So uh, starting the first of the year, uh, 2022, I'm bringing almost all of it together under a new site that I call Dr. Davis Infinite Health.com. So that Dr. Davis Infinite Health.com, my people, take good notes. Dr. Davis Infinite Health.com. And on that note, I'm going to thank you so much for being my guest today. Will you come back? Oh, anytime, Anne Louise. I'm, 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 uh, I'm uh, looking forward to it. You're a doll and you're so vital and so vibrant. So I want to thank all my listeners for listening yet once again to First Lady of Nutrition. Listen to me every week where I bring you luminaries like Dr. William Davis. Shalom, uvracha, may you be blessed. Please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.